So we've got a bit of a, a change of plan tonight, so um, sorry you get me. Um, but, uh, well, it's an opportunity as well. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit tonight about church identity. Um, as you know, through this Vision and Values series, what we're trying to do is just look at some of the foundational values on which we're going to be building in Bexhill. Hill. And um, I think just this kind of whole concept of church is one that really has gripped me for many years now, you know, seeing the church as really God's answer. And it's interesting, isn't it? You know, when we think about salvation, when we think about coming to know Jesus, it's very much a personal thing, isn't it? You know, God speaks in his heart, the Holy Spirit quickens us, we, you know, respond with faith, confess our sins, and we individually come to know God for ourselves, that personal commitment. But straight away, we are saved into the family of God. Straight away, you know, we are children of God, brothers and sisters together, you know. And it's a bit like natural birth, isn't it? You know, I didn't ask to be born into the family that I was born into, but through the act of being born, I ended up there. Um, and uh, so, you know, what does 1 Corinthians 12 say? You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And obviously, and I'm sure in this setting, you know, we don't, you know, we wouldn't be too confused about what is church. Obviously, in some places, you know, if you say, what is church? You know, people would talk about buildings and stained glass, or they might talk about kind of those unfriendly, cold, comfortable places, uncomfortable places with wooden pews. Sometimes, of course, you know, church thinks, you think about music or art, and it's been the inspiration from those. Um, but essentially, of course, what God tells us is that church is something different for all of that. You know, the, 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 church, the, the Bible tells us that church is not something that man has created. When Peter came to Jesus, when he recognized who Jesus was, the first thing Jesus said to Peter was, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not uh, prevail against it. It's not some sort of human institution. It's God's institution. God brought uh, the church into being right from the start. And the, God, and the church is actually God's purposeful plan. It's not something that he's created just to keep us busy and keep us occupied on a Sunday, employ a few people, or whatever. It's got in... Uh, Ephesians, it says, God's purpose was that so through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church is how that happens. The church is part of God's eternal plan. And it's always been part of his plan. His plan to display and put on show his wisdom, his glory to the spiritual powers. As we know, it's not just something we go to. It's something that actually we are. We're born into the church. And that church family that we become part of is obviously uh, church worldwide. In one sense, we're all part of the the grand church as it is, but it's also something that's individual, something that's lo local. It's not something that's just an option for us, you know, or 
you know, there's a few people where they, they need the church. They need a bit of extra help. No, straight away, Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church on this rock. And we don't see in the New Testament, do we? Lone Ranger Christians, Christians on, out on their own. Paul's whole mission was to build and to strengthen the church. The church is a vital part of God's plan for the world, for his people and for you. Khaled, I'm just reminding myself, are we recording? Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the Bible, as we know, as many of you will know, uses different pictures to talk about the church and to help us understand that. And obviously one of those, it was interesting, uh, Adrian, as soon as he opened the worship, said we gather as family. And it is as family that we sometimes can, can see the church pictured well. As I said when I started, you know, we're adopted by the Holy Spirit into God's family. We become children of God experiencing intimacy with him, co-heirs with Christ. But as we're adopted as his children, so we become brothers and sisters together. And actually, that kind of brothers and sisters is one of the most common ways in the New Testament that they referred to each other. Hebrews 13 says, let brotherly love continue. And then in Hebrews 2, bringing many sons to glory, not ashamed to call them brothers that whole idea of brothers and sisters and family together. We're born into that. It's part of who we are as a Christian. It's a, an identity issue, if you like, not just something that you know, comes as a sideline. We become part of the church. And in a sense, in our culture, it's quite countercultural, isn't it, to think of you know, the large extended family that we get. We lived in India for a while, you know, and... You know, cousin-brother was something we learned, which is, um, well, it's essentially your cousins, but because the people live in extended families, so brothers and sisters and all their families together, and so you get new words like cousin-brother because of the way that they all relate one to other in that larger family together. And actually, that's something of the way that church as family is to operate. It's not just though who we are, it's what. We do. To actually be part of a family, to be, be meaningfully part of a family, we actually have to enter into family life. We're born into a family, but to get that experience of the loving family, we need to live as family together. And so we need to make it personal. We need to make it personal in the church. You know, how well do I know my brothers and sisters? Who are the people who are walking alongside me? Who are the people who are near me when the struggles come? We need to make sure that we're developing those deep and meaningful relationships within the members of our church family. You can think about Jesus himself, can't you? He couldn't possibly have that sort of relationship with all of the people who came to be his followers. But there were the 12 disciples. And then within even the 12 disciples, there were those two or three who particularly were close to him. And we need to think within our church family, where are the people we're drawing close to? And of course, that doesn't just come by accident. We need to be proactive. We need to take deliberate action ourselves to reach out to others, to receive the love that's offered to us. We need to play our part in the church. 
And sometimes for us, if we're not feeling particularly part of the church, the answer is not to feel sorry for ourselves and sulk in the corner, but actually it's to start serving and loving others. And as we proactively move forward in that way, so we find love return to us as well. And that love and that uh, commitment in family is a very practical thing. Jesus said, I give you a commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. And that was just said uh, just after he had washed their feet, serving the uh, disciples after that meal they had together. And we're called to uh, be practical in the way that we reach out in love to one another. It'll be different from all of us, but actually we need to make it personal. We need to be proactive. We need to be practical in living together as church family. And then the other picture, which actually, Adrian, you also mentioned, I could have primed you, I think, in the beginning, was actually the body of Christ as well. We know the picture, don't we? Christ as the head, and we the members of the body, the various other body parts, all forming, uh, performing our different functions within the body. We know that the, bio, the body is made up of many parts, and that diversity that comes between your whatever, your toe and your liver, or some sort of horrible little bits that you don't know much about, you know, there's great diversity within the body, and yet each of them obviously has its vital part to play. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? And so there's that diversity within the church that we have to celebrate and to live out together. And because we're diverse, because we're different, we all have different roles. The hands do different things to the kidneys, don't they? To the lungs, to the eyes. If we were just one of those parts, we wouldn't be doing very much. And so God gives us those different functions to perform. And for each of us, and particularly maybe as we go into Bexhill and the sort of smaller gathering that we're going to be together, we need to work out what are the roles that God is calling us to play in the body. It was interesting, some of the um, words we've had, some of that, that prophetic word I read out last time about as we move forward into venues was individuals of us taking up new roles, being surprised sometimes at the roles God offers, uh, opens up for us. So we need to be open to hearing God and looking at what he's opening up for us. But also, as members of that body, we are members of one another. We're part of the same body. We're linked together. We have a responsibility to get towards each other. But as Paul say, God has put the body together so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part is honoured, all the parts are glad. We need to be celebrating together, don't we? It's great to pray for Andrew and to kind of walk through him with some of the real tragedy of the last week in their household. But we also celebrate together. We grow together. It's what families do. And it's what we do as part of the body of Christ. Join together in that 
divert with that diversity and the different roles we bring, but actually join together as the Church of Christ. And maybe just when we think about the foundational values of church, one of the other aspects of church is leadership. It's vital for the church to bear fruit and to achieve God what, what God wants for it. Sometimes I think when we talk about leadership, it can make us feel a bit uncomfortable. Maybe we've had bad experiences. Maybe we sort of think, well, that seems to speak of hierarchy and structures and doesn't seem quite my understanding of what the church should be under about. But of course, when we look at what it means in the Bible to have leadership, Jesus talks about them to them about servant leadership. In Luke 22, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. The picture of church leadership that the Bible gives us is very different to the one that we see in the world. The leader is the one who serves. And in God's kingdom, to become great, you take the lowest rank, you lead by serving. And again, the picture that we shared of Jesus washing the disciples' feet the night before he was executed, the action of a slave coming from the one who was the king of kings. And if Jesus served his disciples, how much more? Should we serve each other? You know, when we talk about church leadership, we talk about different um, functions in that leadership role. I believe that the Bible um, leads us to uh, think of elders as being men chosen and equipped by God to lead the church. And we see it in the New Testament when churches are planted, the eldership teams are put in place. And the model that uh, the Bible talks about is like a family. It talks about elders needing to lead their families well. Needing to be the husband of one wife. Husband of one wife managing his household well, it says in 1 Timothy. And so we believe and that eldership is a male responsibility and actually is about the only one. Is the only one. <laughs> uh, reserved for men within the Bible. But that's not to exclude women for leadership, and you will know that within the way we operate as a leadership team as kings, we have some really talented and gifted women working closely alongside us uh, as we lead forward with the church. We don't believe that that devalues women at all. We believe that men and women are created completely equal in value and in worth in God's sight. But just as within the nuclear family, God creates us with different roles. So it is within the church. What are those functions? Elders, it says, are called to be shepherds of the flock, to set the vision and direction for the church, to teach biblical truth, to care for the church, and where necessary, to discipline as well. When the Bible looks at the qualifications for leadership, we know that most of those or about character. 
that need to be self-controlled, gentle, not violent, sober-minded, not a lover of money. It's one ab ability that's talked about, which is the ability to teach. So actually, those are the qualifications that the Bible tells us that we should look for in our leaders. And as church, we too have responsibilities to follow those leaders, to follow their example. The Bible talks about obeying and submitting to their leading. But clearly that's not uh, a very successful model if that's a harsh leading. But actually we need to come with that servant heart that we talk about. Deacons too, serving alongside the elders are re recognized in, in the New Testament as an important role. And that's something that we, within the church, uh, we don't use that title so much, but I think increasingly we want to think about now how do we recognize those people serving the church but not necessarily in the senior leadership capacities, but so vital to making the whole church work. So when we talk about our vision for kings, we talk about building a healthy church, serving Hastings, Bexhill, and 1066 community. What does healthy church look like? It looks like a church that actually practices disciples, that ship, that is raising up disciples of Jesus, learners or followers of him, teaching them well, walking alongside each other, helping each other to grow uh, in knowledge and in love of Jesus. So the church is a place where discipleship happens, where disciples are made. One of the key sacraments that Jesus laid down was breaking, breaking bread, bread and wine, taking that together to remember him. And so again, if we're looking at healthy church, we expect to see bread and wine taken regularly, and that's something that we will look to do in Bexhill as well, obviously. What should church do? Prayer. Prayer is a huge privilege, that opportunity to come to our Father, the creator and sustainer of the universe, to ask for his blessing, to ask him to come into our different situations. We see it in the New Testament, don't we? They're frequently in prayer. And we as church want to make sure that we too are praying regularly and consistently together, both individually, obviously, but also together corporately. And we want to make prayer a key part of what we're doing. Worship too. We started our first sort of meeting here in Bexhill thinking about, yeah, actually, there's not enough worshippers in Bexhill. We need to see a greater cry of worship going up from Bexhill to our God. And so a key part of what we do as church is that we worship together. We express our love, our thanks, our devotion to, to God. We come and do that in many ways, in the way we live our lives. Our lives are to be expressions of worship, but also in the corporate worship when we come together, when we sing, when we encourage one another. We respond to the truth of the word through the Holy Spirit, expecting him to be at work in us as we come and worship together regularly. And then finally, what should a healthy church do? A healthy church is on mission. It's a part of God's plan to tell the world about Jesus and invite them to follow him. I believe in a sense that the church is actually the greatest tool in God's mission. We need to be encouraging one another and working that out 
here in Bexhill as we reach out. We, it's great when we see people coming and joining us, experienced in the faith, and we know and will need their strength as we go forward. But primarily, we want to be reaching out into those communities, in those towns and streets where actually the name of Jesus is not raised high, where he's not honoured. And it's actually as we do that that we fulfil a key part of actually what our calling is to be a healthy church. So what do I summarise then? The church, God's purposeful plan for the display of his glory. His plan for each of us that we are born into the family of God, into the church, as we together become brothers and sisters. It's a key part of what we are. It's our identity. We are part of the church. Church as family, loving and caring for one another. Church as the body of Christ, with all its diversity, each one of us playing our part in extending the kingdom here. It's church with servant-hearted elders and leaders, discipling, praying, breaking bread together, worshipping, and going on mission to take the, the gospel out to the areas and the, the places where we're living. I praise God that he's calling us to build church here in Bexhill. And uh, just like Mike was saying, you know, I believe that God spoke to us to say, yeah, actually, there's space for you here. There's space in Bexhill for what I'm calling to do. And actually, the time is good. God is ready to pour out his blessings, as Jenny said. I love those big skies we get here in Bexhill. That's one of the big things I noticed, the big sky out of my back, back door. No hills to get in the way. Actually, God is ready to pour out his blessing here on Bexhill through us as we build church together. Should we pray? Let's just pray. Why don't should we, you want to stand? Let's just stand and let's just pray for God to just bless us, to be upon yeah, all that he's calling us to in this place. Maybe Ali's going to pray by the, uh, play or something. Yeah. Okay, he'll do something anyway. Yeah, Father God, we do just want to thank you, Lord God, Lord, for your church, the beautiful bride that you are creating, Lord God, that you have created, that you are creating amongst us here in Bexhill, Lord God. Lord, we thank you. Your church, Lord God, is for the display of your glory. Lord, the church is your uh, expression, Lord God, to the kingdoms and the rulers of your wisdom, of your power. Lord God, your plan for all mankind. And Father, we pray as we build church together, Lord God. Lord, we say, may you, Lord Jesus, be lifted high in all that we do, Lord Jesus. Lord, you say, as you are lifted high, you will draw all men unto you. And Lord, we pray that that will be so right from the start of all that we do here, Lord God. Lord, that we will see men and women coming to you, bowing the knee, Lord God, that there will be new worshippers raising up their songs of praise and worship, expression of thanks from a grateful heart, Lord God. Lord, as you touch lives, as you transform, Father, we believe it's what you're calling us to do here. And Lord, we say, won't you build your church, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for words such as, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to pour out my blessing upon you. And Lord, we say, 
we commit ourselves afresh to all that you would do here, Lord God. Lord, to play our part as those members of the body, Lord God, taking up our different roles, applying ourselves as we work together, Lord, into all that you're calling us to. Father, we say, build your church. Build your church here in Bexhill for the glory of your name. Amen.